Take your Bibles. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I want you to pardon me. I'm going to sit down for just a minute. Uh, I was watching Charles Stanley the other day. And Charles has started preaching sitting down. And I said, he, it works so good for him. I'm going to try it. So I'm going to try it one night. See what happens. Uh, that's a lie. <clears throat> Actually, I got a little bit of a herniated disc. So I'm going I'm to rest it. But everything up here is still good. Just that down there is a problem. And uh, I we're not going to look at this now. I just want to show you a verse. Before you get on social media and call me a liberal preacher for sitting down, I want you to read something. <laughs> Matthew 5, 1. Seeing the multitude, Jesus went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. <laughs> Who's the greatest preacher that ever lived? What's the greatest sermon he ever preached? Sermon on the Mount right there. He preached it sitting down. I'm going to try it and see what happens. All right, turn with me to Philippians 3. Learn all kinds of stuff in the Bible, don't we? All right. Now, tonight, we're going, we're going to talk about... Uh, here's a, we asked one question tonight. Do I have to serve God? How many of you have ever heard of serving the Lord or serving God? All right. The question we're going to ask tonight is, do I have to do it? Do I have to serve God? I know what you're going to say sitting in church. But if there's ever an area where there's been misunderstanding, and I just want, if somebody had taught me this years ago, my life would have been different. I thought I was, I got saved and I went to serve the Lord. I wasn't serving the Lord. I was actually serving an organization and serving people. I never found out how to serve the Lord until I was grown later. And so I'm going to talk tonight about serving the Lord and uh, just want to ask a question, do I have to do it? Now we looked last week in Philippians, we looked at two girls who couldn't get along. And then we talked about healing broken relationships. Let's read that verse again. Philippians 3, Philippians 4. Philippians 4, he said, I implore Uodia and I implore Syntyche. I know why they couldn't get along with names like that. To be of the same mind in the Lord. So he said, look, y'all start getting along. Let's read, let's read verse 3 tonight. I urge you, true companions, help these women who what? Labor with me in the gospel. With Clement also, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Those two phrases, the Bible talks about uh, my fellow workers, laborers in the gospel. Does it sound to you like they're serving the Lord? Yeah, well, the answer is yes. You know, if I ask a question like that, the answer is obviously yes. So they're serving the Lord. And, it, and this talks about it. Now, let me see if you agree with this. My relationship with God has two elements to it. One of them is my personal relationship with Him as a father. As a friend, I meet him. He comes into my heart. I get to know him. I learn to hear his voice. I learn to enjoy him. I learn to walk with him. We, we build a relationship through the years. And then one day I just move up to his house. Do we have a personal relationship with a real Jesus? All the other world religions worship an idea. We walk with a man. But there's another element to it. Besides a personal relationship, I want to serve the Lord also. Isn't that right? Isn't that what a marriage is? Ephesians 5 compares my relationship to him, a marriage. Now I'm married to uh, Katie and we have a personal relationship. We enjoy each other. We laugh together. We love together. We live together. We have a relationship that's growing through the years. But in that marriage, there's also a business side to it. You know, we had to raise children together. We had to have a home together. We had to run a small business together, which is what a house is. So understand a marriage has two sides to it. You've got the personal relationship and then you got the quote business side of it or you got the work serve side of it. A lot of marriages today lost the personal relationship, but they kept the business side going. And that's sad. Vice versa. All right, listen, with me and Jesus, I want a personal relationship with him. I don't want to just go to church and behave. That's not any fun. I want him to walk with me and talk with me and tell me I'm his own. And the joy we share while we gather there, nobody's ever known. I want a real relationship with Jesus, but I want to serve the Lord too. And so there's two sides of our relationship. One's our relationship that grows. One is serving him like that. And the matter of fact, the Bible uh, teaches so much on serving. Him. Listen again, there's so much misinformation. I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. And that, this may be off the wall. This, this is not the Bible. It's just me. I would imagine 70, 80, maybe 90% of everything I've seen in Christian circles was not serving the Lord. It was just doing church work. And I'm not being critical, unkind. I just know it's a... It's a big percentage. All right, we're going to look at the Bible tonight. Bible realities on serving God. If somebody had taught me what the Bible says about serving the Lord, I would have enjoyed my life a whole lot more. 
The people I preached to in the early years would have enjoyed their lives a whole lot more too. I could have been far more effective. I wasn't taught how to serve the Lord. I was taught how to do church work. And there's a big difference. Now you follow me through scriptures tonight. You say, well, you're a preacher. Every child of God is called to serve the Lord. Different capacities. Everybody that follows Jesus. Jesus didn't say, remember me. He said, follow me. And every believer is to serve him somehow. Here we go. Number one, we are never asked to do anything for God. You can't show me that anywhere in the Bible. We are never asked to do anything for God. All right. We are invited to do things with God. And there's a big, big difference. We're never told, go do this. We're invited to join him in what he's doing in the earth. We partner with him. I want you to look at me in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is one of the greatest misunderstandings. And I don't know how we could have missed it because it's written clearly in the Bible. But so many people say, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. He never told you to go do anything. He called you to join him in what he's doing. He called you to work with him. Let's see it. Now we're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and this talks about, it talks about ministry. But dear, do you understand this? If I preach or go on a mission trip, that's ministry. If you raise your children godly, that's ministry. If you talk to a co-worker and encourage them and pray for them, that's ministry, even if you don't have a license. Ministry doesn't mean what guys with backwards collars do. Ministry is anything his people do in him. Got it? All right, read with me 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's asking some questions. Verse 5, 1 Corinthians 3, 5. Who is Paul, who is Paulus, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one, assigned to each one. I watch this verse six. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. Neither he who plants is anything, he who waters, but God gives the increase. What do you hear right there? I don't see they were doing something for the Lord. I see where they were working together with God. They spoke the words, but who made the good things happen? All right, listen, you got to do your part to raise your children godly, but the spirit of God's got to get in there and help you. I labored, I planted, God gave the increase. And everything we do all through scripture, this is the pattern that's followed of not, well, he wants me to go do this and I'll do it. That's never in scripture. It's always me and him are going to go together. All right, how about Jesus? You think that's the way Jesus did business? Turn with me to John chapter five. And John chapter five, I don't know if you're familiar with this. John chapter five is where Jesus explains how he does ministry and how he helps people. Now, we got to get this term of ministry out of the official clergy. Clergy sounds like a skin disease. Ministry is anything God does to help people, whether he does it through a bus driver, a carpenter, somebody's grandma. Ministry is serving people. All right, here's how Jesus did it. <clears throat> now, how many of you believe that Jesus did the will of God? How many believe he served the Lord? Here's how he did it. John 5, 17. Jesus said, my father has been working until now and I have been working. So what does that tell me? Everything they did, they did together. He worked where the father was. Verse 19, Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own or of himself unless he sees the father do it. Verse 20, the father loves the son and shows him all things that he is doing. So what do you see right there? Jesus didn't go do the will of God. They went together and everything they did, they worked together. Do you understand Jesus had no power whatsoever? He laid aside his power, Philippians chapter two, when he came to earth, he walked as a man and every time he touched somebody and healed them, it was actually God who healed the people. And Jesus walked as a man on the earth. He and his father worked together. That's what scripture teaches you and I. All right, does the Bible teach this example all through it? Let me, now, this is really important that you get this. Let me point a couple things out to you. Does anybody remember a guy named Moses? Moses had an ark. I feel like I need to be up there. All right. Did Moses go do something for God? All right. Read it again. Moses tried to do something and it blew up. He was a fugitive. He ran for 40 years. He was hiding from the government, a murderer. All of a sudden, God came to him in chapter 3 at a burning bush. And uh, he had a meeting with God. Listen to what God said to him. I have heard the cry of my people. I have seen their pain. I have felt, I have seen their tears. 
I have come down to deliver them and you're going with me. Did he send Moses or did Moses go with him? How many of you really think that when Moses struck out that stick and it fell dark over the land, how many of you think Moses turned the lights out? Who did the big work? How many of you think when he touched that water and it turned into blood, how many of you think he did that? God did that. How many of you think when he stretched that stick out and that, oh, that sea parted, how many of you think he parted it? God delivered those people. Moses just went with him. This is all through the Bible. Every time the, God doesn't say, go do this for me. He says, we're going to go do this together. And I'll provide the big hand with it, whether we you know, consider it big or whatnot. Let me show you something else. Turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. And this is great because this is what me and you want to do right here. Mark chapter 16. How many of you think that in the Bible, in the book of Acts, excuse me, Gospels and the book of Acts, how many of you think that those guys called apostles, which were just common men, no education. I got in trouble for calling them rednecks one time. They were. How many of you think they did some great things in the Bible? All right, let's look and see. All right, Mark 16, right here at the end, Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. Here's his last commandment. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Anybody ever heard that? Did he send them out to preach? All right, read with me verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Did he send them out or did he go with them? You see, I thought he went to heaven. His spirit, the spirit of Jesus went with them. All through the Bible, you'll find that anytime God had somebody do something, he went with them. And, and listen, here, here's the deal. We're never told to go do something for him. We're always invited to be a part of what he's doing in the earth. And we're sent to do that. And listen, it doesn't matter whether you're sent to preach, be a missionary, or raise your family, raise your children, or sing a song. You don't want to be, I don't care if you've got the greatest voice in the world. You don't want to be singing a song up here by yourself. You want the Spirit of God to be with you. Because dear ones, let me, let me tell you something I learned. I didn't know this for years. I wouldn't even taught this, but I've learned it as an old man. Unless the Lord builds the house, you'll work in vain. What did it say? I planted, Apollos watered, God made the good things happen. And we need a new mindset when it comes to serving him that he's not going to send me to do something. Me and him going together. And he, God will be with me. And uh, you remember Moses said, what? Who am I going to take with me? And what did God respond? I am. Let's go, son. Get your stick. Let's go. All right. Number two. That's number one. Number two. We never get to choose what we do for him ever. He always chooses what we do. You can't show me anywhere in the Bible where he said, go find something to do for me. He always had an assignment for people every single time. Search the scriptures. He always had an assignment. When, uh, what did Jesus say? I do nothing of myself, only what I see my father do in John 5, 19 and 20. Because the father loves the son and shows him what God's doing. And then I work there. I can't go out and decide to do something for him. I got to have a personal relationship with him. And he's got to show me what he's doing. And then I jump in there with him. He's got to tell me what he's doing. Okay. And the scripture teaches this so, so clearly. Uh, do you remember? Let me give you. This is one of the great. I was taught so wrong in this. And so many people are still taught wrong. If it just go do something good. No, no, no. Don't do that. There was we don't get to pick what we do. We follow him. I don't know if you remember this or not, but David had been blessed with God beyond measure. He, he was an old man. I mean, he didn't let be 50. He was old for as old as he was going to get back dying time. And, and he said one day, he said, God's been so good to me. He said, I want to do something for the Lord. He said, it's not right that I live in a nice cedar house and God's staying in a tent. I'm going to build God a nice house. You remember this? And the, the prophet came and he said, I'm going to build God a nice house. And the prophet Samuel said, do all that's in your heart. And the prophet went home, went to bed that night and God woke him up and said, <clears throat> I didn't authorize that conversation. He said that to me a minute time. He said, I didn't authorize that. <laughs> David and the prophet went back the next day and said, you shall not build a house. Your intentions are good, but that's not what he wants you to do. Your son will build a house. And you can, you can save up the money if you want to. 
The thing is, we, we've got to quit doing what we think He wants and start doing what He's doing. As of all through Scripture, you see there's a big deal. Matter of fact, uh, you, ever had, you ever heard anybody asking the Lord to bless something? Don't ask Him to bless it. Find out what He's doing. What He's doing is already blessed. I've been in a many a religious meeting where a revival preacher said, Lord, we ask you to bless what we're doing. You're in trouble. Do you remember the original bless what we're doing prayer? I remember a guy named Abraham. He's in the Bible. All right, Abraham. And he's old as dirt. Uh, 90 years old. God said, you're going to have a child and I'm going to build a whole nation through that child. 90 years old. Sarah's 80 some years old. She, I mean, she, she was old. All right, he, all, right, he, all right, now listen, that's all God told him at that meeting. Got it? Sometimes he just tells us a little bit of what's coming down the road, most of the time. And so he leaves him, and Abraham says, hey, we're going to have a baby, I'm going to have this baby, and God's going to build a whole nation through it. So he goes, talks to Sarah, and so they said, all right, here's how we're going to do this. Because you know what they said? She said, I ain't have no baby. 80-some years old, even if she could, who'd want one at that age? I mean... So, so they, they said, Here, here's how, we know God's will. It wasn't God's will for, her, for them to have a child. And that was his will, he told them. So Abraham, they get together and they concoct this ministry plan. She says, you take my handmaiden who's in her 30s, you get her pregnant. We started doing this mess again now. You get her pregnant and th that'll be your child and, and he can work through that. See, that's what happens when men try to do things their way. God's will, your way will make a mess. We're still suffering today in the Middle East from that dumb decision. All right. <laughs> this is so hilarious. In um, Genesis 17, the Lord comes to visit him again. And he says again, Sarah will have a child. And Abraham prayed this prayer. Oh, that Ishmael could stand before you. He said, he said no, I want you to bless our plan. Does anybody remember what this is? A, I've memorized all of God's responses in verse 18. I've memorized the whole verse. You want to hear it? No. Abraham said, oh, he went through this long rigmarole. Oh, we've got this plan. We'll, I'll get her. Uh, Hagar will have the baby. And he said, let this plan stand before you. And God said, uh-uh, no. Doing all through the Bible, we don't get to pick. He's already got his plan. And we need to find out what he's doing and be a part of what he's doing in the earth. All, all through scriptures, my beloved brother Paul, he was, one of the, he was the greatest preacher to ever live, but he never did anything Acts 13, 1, as they prayed and fasted and ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit told them, go do this. And they always found out what God was doing first. Now listen, you can do the same thing. You say, well, how, how do you know he's got something for me to do? This book teaches he's got a full life for everybody that follows him. I know the plans I have for Abraham, you. Every believer's got this. All right, number three. Listen to this carefully. This, this would have set me free years ago. Serving the Lord will always involve helping people somehow. That's all he does is help people. It'll always involve helping people. And here's what I mean by that. Um, what's the only thing Jesus came to do? The Son of Man, Luke 19, 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. All God does is help people. Let me, let me help you with this. Um, he never tells me go dig a ditch and fill it back up so I can find you something to do. Then was God don't do busy work. He don't make me do stuff just so I'll have something to do. Every single plan of his is going to be helping people somehow. I've watched this all my life. People in churches serving the Lord, serving the Lord. And they'll have a program or a meeting and they don't like doing it. The people didn't like coming. You didn't serve the Lord. You just had church. Show me that in the Bible. When are we going to get back? Somebody should start a back to the Bible broadcast. We got to get back to the book, man. He don't beat around the bush. Everything he does is designed to help somebody somehow. He don't just, I don't read my Bible so I can get a check mark. I mean, I don't, I don't do anything to get him off my back. Every assignment he has for me, somebody's going to get help. So that, that's calling that. Number four. <clears throat> serving the Lord will bring true joy into your life. Now, this is the one I never was taught. I thought, well, you know, you could have had fun, but now you've got to serve God. At least you won't have to go to hell anymore. That was the thinking I was taught. There was, if, 
people say, I don't have no joy. Then you ain't serving him. All right, I can tell by the way you're looking. I better show you that. (laughs) Turn with me to Psalm 100. I, I think the missing joy is the litmus. Well, it's the identifying mark of what's going on in the rounds today. Psalm 100. This verse just jumped off the page at me one day. I, first, first 10 years I was in church, I never saw anybody smile. I hated being there. I guess so. That guy up there screaming at him. All right, watch, watch this. I love this. You know I love this psalm. Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout unto the Lord, all you lands. Watch these words. Serve the Lord. How many think we ought to serve the Lord? Right there it is. Serve the Lord with what? There is gladness in serving the Lord. There's gladness in serving the Lord. And I'm going to show you why. A uh, matter of fact, I'll tell you why you're there. Turn a few pages to your left. Psalm 40. Let me give you one of the great revelation verses. Now you, you say, well, that's, that's not true. Listen to me. You just hadn't discovered it yet. It is true. There was God's words true. You just hadn't found out how to make it work yet. But here's one of the great promises in his word. I've had a lot of people I've talked to about Jesus. And they say, well, I'm too young to follow Jesus. I want to live my life and have fun. When I get old, I'll follow him before I die. Man, we got some terrible misinformation here. Oh my goodness. Psalm 40. Here's the great verse. Psalm 48. Watch this. I delight to do what? Your will. You would love the will of God. You say, I can't stand it. You're not doing his will. I delight to do your will. Oh my God. Your will, your law, you know what law means? It don't mean Ten Commandments. Your plans are actually the desire of my heart. That's what it means. Your law is in my heart. What God wants you to do is the absolute desire of your heart. He matches the two up when you get born again. I'm going to show you how this, this is one of the great revelations. I thought, you know, I just, be honest with you, I didn't like serving him after a while. I first went in the ministry. I didn't like serving him. And then I found out years later, you won't. You weren't serving him. You were just doing church work. Man, listen, you, do, you will delight to do His will, according to Scripture. Um, matter of fact, the great Romans 7.22 says this, I delight in the will of God in my heart. You love it. Now, let me show you why you'd love the will of God in your heart. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. And you need to always remember this verse right here. Hebrews chapter 8. All right. Does anybody, has anybody ever heard of the Old Covenant? Okay, I'm even though we're not under the Old Covenant anymore. All right, Hebrews is the technical book of the Bible where it explains the Old Covenant has passed away. Dear ones, we're under a new covenant based on better promises with a better mediator, and his name's Jesus. How many of you know what the word covenant means? Contract. The covenant is God's contract with humanity. Now, you know, we, you might work in a job or whatever, and there might be a contract, and that contract spells out everything everybody agrees to do. Well, we're under a covenant with God. He's made a covenant with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you're born again, and here's the new covenant that he made. Uh, let's put in about um, verse 10, Hebrews 8:10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, which is you. Watch what he said he'd do. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. Now laws doesn't mean commandments. Laws means my plans, my assignment. You know what this means? Here's what this means. If God wants me to be, for instance, His law for me, His plan for me is to be a preacher, He will put the desire to preach in my heart before He sends me to do it. I've had people say, well, you know, they're going to the mission field and they're mad about it. Go over and give them tetanus shots to them pygmies and I hate it. But, well, that's not your, you're not doing His will. Pity the poor pygmies that got this neurotic headed that way. Then was if it's the will of God, you will love it. You know why? Because he will write his law on your heart. He'll cause you to say, man, Brother Brown, I don't don't want to grow a preacher. I don't want to be a preacher. I I want to be a cowboy. That's the will of God for your life. You know how you find the will of God for your life? Spend time with him in prayer, get close, and then look what's in your heart. There's been times where I've been sitting in church and I thought, I wish I was fishing. Not this one. I, I like this one. And you know what? That's probably his will that I be there. And then finally I thought, well, you didn't come. Why should I come? We got to get off this religious mess. A man sitting in a church wishing he was fishing, that's religion. 
A man sitting in his boat staring at God's creation, thinking about how great he is, that's faith. All right, don't be here Sunday. Don't go to the lake on me. <laughs> we got to get off this thing that, you know, if, if I'll serve God, I'll give up my plans. Dear ones, you will, if you ever find the will of God for your life, you'd pay to do it. Because he will put it in your heart. That's what Philippians 2.16 means. God is work 2.13. God is working in you to will, to give you the desire to do his will and to do it. Before he calls me to do something, he gives me the desire to do it. I had no idea when I saw my sweetheart, I had no idea it was his will for me to get to marry her. Oh, looking back, I know it is now. I'm beyond the shadow of a doubt. Just as surely as he brought Eve to, what was Eve's husband? Badham. <clears throat> I'm convinced he put us together. He crossed our paths in the cafeteria that morning. And I saw her and I just, I just, I'm, yo, you know what the deal is. You've seen them Hallmark movies. I just, I went crazy over her. I thought she was most beautiful. I just fell in love with her, crazy love. And I thought, because you know, I was going to be a preacher and needed a wife. And I thought, she probably ain't her. She's too nice and too pretty and I'm too excited about it. Can't be God. <laughs> it was him the whole time. Guess who invented romantic love? Take a wild guess. Wasn't Dr. Phil. It's Dr. Jesus. And I look back on my life 60-some years now, I see the hand of God in all kind of stuff. Dear ones, He will write His law in your heart. If you'll, you walk with Him, He'll put stuff in your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. He'll put them in there, and then He'll bring them. That's why I love doing His will. I just, dear ones, we've we got to understand. Now, don't, I, I said it would bring you joy. Listen, listen, even if there's tough times, I did not say there wouldn't be challenges. I didn't say it couldn't be a tough spot, but God's will will bring you joy in life. Let me quote to you Philippians chapter two. My beloved brother Paul said this, I love you. And he said this, if I'm being poured out, if my life is a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice and you rejoice with me. He said, serving you and taking care of you and loving you has made me so happy. It is the joy of my life. And you can tell by the book of Philippians, everything he did was joy of that. Now, let, me, let me say it again, dear ones. If there's no joy at all, not, I didn't say we wouldn't have bad days. My wife's had some bad days in her marriage. I didn't say we wouldn't have bad days. If there's no joy, you've missed his will somewhere. Can't be. All right, number five. Serving the Lord will bring you fulfillment and heart contentment. Dear ones, listen, listen to me. See if you agree with this. I, you, you young, you might not know this. We are suffering from a tremendous lack of contentment in this nation right now. People are very dissatisfied. They're talking about being burned out at 40. Men having midlife crises. That's not what the Bible calls it. We got people are so discontent today. Why? Even my, how many of you think money and fame and wild sex would make you happy? Mick Jagger's 78 years old. He still can't get no satisfaction. Been doing it all them years. If air, listen, we should change our national anthem from Oh Say you, Can You See to I Can't Get No Satisfaction. That's what we ought to do. We're the most dissatisfied nation according to polls. Dear ones, the will of God is the only thing that can really bring contentment to your heart and satisfaction to your heart. Now, let me show you this. Turn me to John chapter 4. You see, I, I just, I was talking with a young lady the other day. She's, she's, oh, she's old, old, 26 I think she's 26, she's 25, 26, somewhere in there. She's beautiful, got a great husband, beautiful family. Got, her, got, her, got the career she wanted, been doing it about three years. And she said, I, I, she said, something's just not right. I'm just so, I think she said unhappy or just, I don't know what. The bottom line was she was just discontent. And she said, you know, maybe I need a hobby. I thought, no, you need a savior. There was, I don't care if you got the brand new car, the brand new house, the brand new husband. I ain't going to help none either. I don't care if you get the job with the corner office on the top, yada, yada, and all that junk. Only the will of God can bring contentment in your heart. And he'll do it. All right, here's this great passage, John 4. This is where Jesus was talking to that trashy woman, the woman at the well. And he, what was he doing with her? Was he fussing at her for being trashy? He was just trying to talk to her about the goodness of God. And he was loving on her and he was encouraging her. He wasn't hollering at her. He's trying to help this woman. Would you? And maybe you believe he's trying to help the woman. All right. You know, the disciples are gone. They'd gone to get food. They came back and they said to him, we got the food. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food. Let's back up verse 31. 
He said, uh, verse 32, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Jesus said, what satisfies me and fills me up is to do the will of God. Now, you need to memorize verse 34. You want to be full and satisfied and content? Find the will of God. My fi- Listen, I really don't like religion to this day. I ain't wild about going to a lot of churches. But I love, my food is to do the will of God. If I get a chance to talk to some trashy woman in a place somewhere and I get to love on her, I just, I just have the best time. There's just something down here. I just get excited about it. If I get to preach, I just have the best time. I mean, if I can get two to stand still or one to walk slow or anything, it, it don't matter. You know what the deal is? If you will find the will of God, you'll say, I have found what makes me content. My food is to do the will of God. You say, I'm, I'm stuck at these houses raising these two babies. If that's God's will, you'll have a blast. You will find contentment. There was he, he built your heart for his will. And, and that's why he writes his laws in our hearts. Um, let, let me quote Hebrews 8.10 again. This is the covenant I will make with them. I'll put my laws in their minds. My, I'll, I'll let them know what I want them to do. And I'll write them in their hearts. I listen to, I love Ephesians 6. 6 says this. Doing the will of God from the heart. Then if you ever find his will, you'll say, this is what my heart wanted to do. And you'll do it with passion. You'll do it from the heart. It's just, we got this perverted religious view of God that you got to do his will, then go have fun. Friend, if it ain't, if it don't bring you contentment, it's not his will. The scriptures are true. All right, number six. Here I get in trouble again. Serving the Lord is not hard. It's not. Now listen, it can be dangerous at times. It can be tough at times, but it is not hard. Turn with me to the great passage in Matthew 11. I've shown you this before. This verse has caused many a preacher to cuss. I had a fellow tell me one time, he said, I read this and opened the window and threw the Bible out the window. And then I went back out and got it because I knew it was right. There was, if this verse is true, all the, matter of fact, I just, I heard a song on the radio today and, uh, well, I'm tired and so weary, but I must go on till the Lord comes and calls me away. I hope he calls you tomorrow. That ain't no way to live right there. Where's this tired and weary stuff come from? You say, well, don't you know what we've been through this year? Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God is not weary? Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like an eagle. They'll run and not be weary. There's something we got to find out about this stuff. All right, Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is a blessing. What a blessing. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are sucking eggs. Labor, heavy laden, worn out. I will give you. What does Jesus give people? Restoration. He restores my soul. Look, look at this. Take my yoke upon you. He did not tell you to start doing church work. He didn't tell you to be religious. He said, take my yoke. Find my will for your life. Watch this. Learn from me. Jesus is the only one who can show you his will for your life. Don't ask the preacher. Don't ask your mama. Only Jesus can show you what he wants you to do. Learn from him. Gentle and lowly in heart, you'll find rest for your souls. Watch these words. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, they may be a tremendous responsibility. And they may be a lot accomplished, but it's easy and light because he is carrying the load. I can remember years ago, there was a fellow, I won't say his name, because I I don't want to divide nobody. But he had a tremendous, huge church. He had a national ministry. He was running a college and you never saw him. He didn't act like he didn't have a care in the world. The next thought on his mind was not how to raise money. It was who can I play the next joke on? He didn't have a care in this world. Of course he didn't. He was right in the center of God's will. And he'd learn how to get in that yoke. His, his will is not hard. Now, will you get cussed out once in a while? Every time. I mean, not every time. But <laughs> he who lives godly in Christ Jesus is going to suffer persecution. If the world hated me, they go hate you. But it doesn't wear you out and grind you down to where you've got just a few more weary days. All right, I'm off of it. Number seven. If you're truly serving the Lord, his spirit will be helping you. If it's him, his spirit's going to help you. His spirit helps you do that. I want to show you one of the greatest verses. I've loved this verse and I've quoted it to many a person and shown them. You're not doing the will of God. You're just doing church work. 
find the will of the Father. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In 2 Corinthians 9, is this, this is the verse that shows me whether I'm, doing, I'm actually doing God's will or I'm just being religious or I'm doing what I want to do. Now, 2 Corinthians 9 is a, one of the greatest promises. You need to remember this verse too. Hang on to it. Now, 2 Corinthians 9 promises you something. I want you to see what the promise is. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. I'm going to throw in verse 7 as a bonus. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. You ever heard that? Don't preach because you have to. Don't teach a Sunday school class because you have to. Don't be an usher because you have to. Don't give money because you have to. If you have to, don't do it. What did he say? Don't do it grudgingly. Do it because you want to in your heart. He said, man, I, I thought he wrote his law in your heart. I don't tithe because I have to. I'll, it's my favorite check in the world to write. I love to give. I mean, he's been good to me. I ain't got enough sense not to stop. Now, listen, I don't preach because I have to. I love it. And they used to well, God's got me in, that, in the nursery. And I'm hoping if I'll be in the nursery, I'll get a raise at work. Surely he'll trade me off here. You lost as, you lost as a ball in high weeds, Doc. Look here. He wants you to give cheerfully. It's not just about money. If you're going to help somebody or serve somebody, you should do it how? Grudgingly, mad, fussing, or cheerfully. Can't you see that in the Bible? Let me show you why. Verse 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. You will always have all sufficiency in all things. You'll have an abundance for every good work. Listen to me. Good work doesn't mean what we call good. It is ordained by God. Everything He asks you to do, His Spirit will help you do. All right, you know what grace is? Grace has two definitions in the New Testament. One is the kindness of God to save me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But there's another use for grace in the New Testament. Here it is. Here's the, the, I like a definition I heard a lady say a while back. Grace is the power and the blessing of the Holy Spirit to meet the need you need at the moment. It's when God gives you His Spirit and grace. It's called grace. When He gives you the ability. Now let me, let me tell you what this means. <clears throat> if He's called you to do something, raise children, you know, teach a women's Bible study, witness one-on-one -on -one to somebody, preach, He will give you strength internally to do it. The Holy Spirit, listen to what the Bible said. I pray to God that you might be strengthened with His might in the inner man by His Spirit to do all His will. There's a strength that comes from the Spirit on the inside. Now, some people call it motivation. Call it what you want to. He gives you encouragement to do His will. He's the greatest encourager in the world by His Spirit. Uh, number three, if God's called you to do it, He'll pay the bill. The money is proof that God's in something. I've had people say, well, you know, we just, we're, we're running a faith ministry. Can't get nobody here. So we're going to buy a truckload of watermelons and sell them to pay the bills. My God, have mercy. He pays his bills. And in this particular passage, it is talking about enough money to do everything he asks you to do. Listen, if God's told you to love that family, he'll provide. He'll make a way. Number four is people. You show me anywhere in the Bible, anywhere he involved somebody in what he was doing, the people they needed to help him always came along beside him. When, it, when him and Moses went to heal, who did he have hold Moses' hand? Aaron. He gave silence to Paul all through scriptures. Listen, people say, well, God's called me to preach and I'm the only one at my church. Something's wrong. And let me tell you something. He'll give you opportunity. Four times in the New Testament it said, the Lord has opened a door for us. You say, I, I want to sing and people run and nobody will come listen to me. Might better find out what you're supposed to be doing. Let me go a little further than this. God wants you to talk to people. And he'll give you the words to say. I love Matthew 10 verses 20 and 19 and 20 says this. Take no thought for what you'll say, for in that moment it will be given you. It's not you who speak, it's the spirit of your father speaking to people through you. There have been times I talked to people and walked off and said, where'd that come from? Now, there have been times I talked to them thought, where'd that come from? That, that, was, that was my ugly side there. But there have been times I've spoken to people. It was just the right word at just the right moment. And I know it wasn't me. It was God. But let, listen to what the Bible says. Psalm 8110. I love this. Psalm 8110. Open your mouth wide. I will fill it. Now, my daddy used to tell me to shut my mouth all the time. But God says, open your mouth. Speak these things. 
And you'd be surprised. Let me tell you something about talking to people, helping people privately, ministering to them, loving them, pray, whatever. You'll be a little nervous to take the first step, but once you get going, you won't be able to stop. Because you know why? You'll take the first step, and then the Holy Spirit will take over and just... And man, they'll just say that. What you said helped me so much. Well, it wasn't you. All you did was open your mouth and he filled it. And he spoke through you. Listen to Jeremiah 1, 9. I will put my words in your mouth and I will send you to whomever I will send you to. One of the greatest things in the world is to encourage people and bless people and help people and know that was God speaking to them right there. All right. In other words, there's grace. If he's called you to do something, his spirit's going to be there with you. It'll be on it. Number eight. All right. If you're serving the Lord, if you're truly serving the Lord, you will see him work. You'll see things that only God can do. I know the difference between people working and God working. I know the difference between effort and fruit. And uh, now we, we got to do our part. He told them, said, you go preach the gospel. But when they went and preached the gospel, he worked with them. You see, uh, I can't just go and, and move to Aunt, move excuse me, South Florida nowadays. I can't go move to Florida and expect, my, expect God to raise my children. I got to do my part. I got to train up a child. I've got to teach these things to your children. But while I'm doing that, he'll start working. He'll be working in their hearts. All right. It, listen, if you're serving him, you will see him working. Jesus said this in John 15, 4, abide in me and I in you. He who abides in me grunts. No, bears much fruit. He'll work through you in that. Uh, there was, you, you'll, in other words, you'll see things only God can do. And you'll know, I didn't do that right there. All right, I'm, I'm going to quote again. We looked there earlier at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it says, <clears throat> Apollos planted, excuse me, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And anytime you're, you're, you're involved with him in something, you do it. If he's in it, you're going to say, only God could have done this. Listen, I've had people actually say this to me before. I said, what happened? I said, man, that was a God thing right there. Every believer's life should be a God thing. In our daily lives and everything he's called us to do, it should be obvious that he's in it. All righty? And uh, if he's in it, you'll see him work. Let me do one more. If you're serving the Lord, you will live outside the box. Let me make an announcement. The living God won't stay in your religious box. I knew that'd go over about like a pregnant high jumper. Can I ask you a question? Who is the most creative person you ever met? The living God is the most creative person in the universe. Just go fly around the world one time and look at what he done. He's the most creative person in the world. His will is creative. All right, this used to bother me when I began to understand we're missing something here. Why is it that the church is the dullest, deadest, least creative place on earth? I've been in many a church and I thought, they're like Ronnie Millsap. They're stuck in the 50s. I mean, they, why do we always do what we've always done? Because we've always done it that way. So you, all you got to do is read the Bible one time and see that ain't the God of this book. Do you know how creative he is? Right, let's, let's just settle this. Don't get nervous. I might start preaching, sitting down. Don't get nervous. How many believe that Jesus did the will of God? All of it. He said, I have finished the work you sent me to do. Let me ask you a question. Why did the preachers come to Jesus, Mark 7, and say, why do you not live according to the tradition of the church? You know, Jesus broke their tradition. He lived outside. Was Jesus outside the box? Spitting in a man's eye to make him well? Guess whose idea that was? That's pretty creative. One of my favorites. Simon came to him and they said, we're, we're running short on cash. Why didn't he just tell Judas to write him a check out of the treasure? You know, Judas was treasure. He said, uh, get your rod and reel. Go to the sea. Throw that hook in the sea. Take the first fish you catch and look in his mouth. Really? You know, when somebody here comes to me and says, Pastor, we need money for such and such in the budget, I say, go to Jordan Lake. <laughs> Follow the life of Jesus Everything he did to help people was so creative. Can I tell you the truth? 
I think we bore God to death in our churches. You don't have to amen. I read it. I know what the deal is. Jesus was so creative and they said to him, why do you not do it the way we've always done it? Why do you not follow the tradition of the elders? You know what Jesus said to them? You hypocrites. Why don't you do what the Bible says? You got to love this man right here. All right. Even John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist the forerunner of Jesus who pointed the way to Jesus? He told him, he pointed right there on his back. He said, that's the Lamb of God right there at his baptism. Just a few months later, John sent a messenger and said, are you him or do we look for somebody else? Why did he do that? Because Jesus' ministry was so out of the box, it even, it even knocked John off his saddle. I just, I, could you imagine what God would do if we would learn to just listen to him, be a part of what he's doing? You would have more fun. I got to, I got to listen to this. Dear ones, you have, to, you have to get outside the box if you're going to walk with Jesus. What do you think it means in Mark 2, 22? No man puts new wine in an old wine skin. You tear it up. But new wine must be put in a new wine skin. You know what that means? You're going to work with me. You've got to be flexible. If you're stiff and anything new will tear you up, I can't work with you. If you're going to walk with me, you've got to flex. I knew you wouldn't enjoy that one. All right. I'm telling you, if you find the will of God, you'll say, this is it. Let me quit by doing this. I want to give you a couple of admonitions on serving from his word. There are two great pitfalls, two mistakes people make in serving the Lord. And I think every, if you're here on a Wednesday night, I guarantee you won't serve the Lord. But there's two mistakes people make in serving the Lord. Number one is, don't let the church cram you into its mold. Don't let any, Jesus didn't say follow the church. He didn't say follow the preacher. He said, follow me. You know, this is what I did. I got saved. Praise God. I'm born again. I got a new heart. I'm forgiven. Glory to God to give me a Bible. I said, what do I do now? They said, go to church and learn what to do. God have mercy. So I just did what I saw them doing, thinking they were serving the Lord. None of us knew what we was doing. Do not let the church cram you into its mold. He's got his own show for you. Follow me. And number two, listen to this carefully. Well, listen to this carefully. Don't imitate somebody else's serving. One of the great mistakes we make is we'll see God working in somebody's life. We'll see somebody serving the Lord, His hands on them, and we'll try to do what they're doing. He didn't call you to do what they're doing. Professor told me when I was brand new, he said, son, I preached what he said. We don't need Billy Graham Jr. Most successful preacher I know, I'll just do what he did. God didn't call me to do that. He didn't call you to do that. Listen, don't imitate anybody else. I don't care if they're, I don't care if they're the greatest Christian in the world. You can't imitate them. He didn't call you to do what he called them to do. And let me say this. They will, if, if, you, if the hand of God's on them in child raising or whatever they're doing and you try to imitate it, it won't be on you. That's why the most successful church in the land for a long time was Saddleback Church in California. And all these preachers flew out there to find out what they were doing, came back, imitated it, and their churches died. God's not blessing their method. He's blessing their obedience. You, you got to find out what he wants you doing. There's only grace for what he wants you doing. And this is one of the great mistakes. He's got a plan and will for you and it's custom made. Everything. Nehemiah 2.12. I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. What he put in my heart to do. Matter of fact, I want to show you something. Turn with me to uh, Psalm 33. Psalm 33. Now, listen, it's okay to learn from people. It's okay to have patterns. We looked at patterns the other night in people. But you've got to have a relationship with him so he can show you what he's planned for you personally. Personally. And you will love it. And it'll work. And it'll be good. Now, let me teach you something here from Scripture about his plan for your life. Custom plan. Psalm 33 says this. Verse 13. Psalm 33, 13. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from the place of his dwelling looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. Y'all think he can do that? You think he can watch all... 8 billion of us at one time. Watch verse 15. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. 8 billion people, he's got a custom plan for it. What does it mean? He fashions their hearts individually. If he fashioned my heart to be the personality I've got, to preach, to preach the way I preach, to do the way I do, that's for me only. He fashioned my heart in that. 
If he's fashioned your heart to be mild-mannered and gentle and quiet and a mother who raises children, he's fashioned your heart individually. Everybody gets a custom fashion. You understand that? That's why we get in trouble trying to imitate other people. He blesses the fire to what they're doing because they're obeying him. You imitating him and, and it sucks. Excuse me, it don't work. That's what, that's what it means, it don't work. There is only grace on your assignment for you. You got to do what he wants you to do. All right, let me, uh, I'm going to give you some examples here. <clears throat> Billy Graham. I believe Billy Graham, of course, he was the great preacher when I was a young man. I believe Billy Graham found the will of God for his life and did it. I think he nailed it till he was an old man and pulled his feet up into bed and went home to glory. All right. Let me tell you about another guy. My buddy J.L. Williams, who I love so dearly. He's a godly man. He met his sweetheart in college and they were, they were going to go to the Philippines and be missionaries. They were called to the Philippines to be missionaries. So they were trained for that. They're ready to go. And all of a sudden they found out that wasn't his plan for us. And he didn't send them next door to the Philippines. They weren't missionaries at all. He shifted their gears in a new direction. And they, instead of going to the Philippines as missionaries, they started a ministry group with young people right here in Burlington and traveled up and down the East Coast during racial, racial uh, renewal days, preaching reconciliation. And it wasn't even close to what they planned. But looking back over their lives, you can see they found his plan for them. You understand that? Everybody's got to find your own thing. Uh, my buddy Mickey Evans that I love so much at Dunklin, he, he got saved. And he, he said, the Lord's called me to serve him. So he went to the, he was Baptist, went to the Baptist school, became a Baptist minister, Baptist preacher. And God spoke to him when I said, I, I never called you to be a Baptist preacher. That's what everybody does that serves you out of my church. That's not what I want you doing. He put him in the recovery ministry, not even close to being a Baptist pastor. And uh, everybody's got to find their own thing, all right? So that's good for me. Let me shift gears. My sweetheart. Uh, she's the exact opposite of me. She's mild-mannered. She's quiet. She's got sense. And um, there is no question about it that God Almighty created her to train children's lives. She's good at it. She's got the grace for it. It works. And she loves it. I think, put me in a room with kindergartners, I'd be in jail for dark. Because one of them bows up against me, I'm going to fix it. She never gets upset. She's never bothered. She looks forward to getting up going every day and she's 60 some years old. She'll do it till she's 90 if she lives. You know why? That is the custom plan of God for her life. She's not a preacher. She's not a reverend. Thank God. One of us is enough in the house. But you understand, we think of ministry, we think of, well, you got to be a preacher. No, you don't. Be a teacher. There'll, there'll be a, something like that. Neil Woodrow, man I adore so dearly. He worked at General Motors all his life. The call of God on his life was to teach 12-year-old boys in Sunday school. He taught 12, 13, 11, 12, 13-year-old boys in Sunday school for 35 years in the same room and never missed a Sunday. And he loved every minute of it. He took them out to his farm. He trained them. He showed them how to treat women. He showed them what a godly example was. He taught them the Bible. And he loved it. You know why? That was God's custom plan for him everybody's got their own little deal, like little country preachers who've never preached to more than a hundred people. They loved it. They had a blast. They delighted They influenced people. And then they went to glory, found the will of God for their lives. Now I've had people actually say this to me and it makes me mad. I've had people say this to me. Well, I'm just a mother. Highest call on God's green earth. And you know, the, with this warped civilization that's taught us, if you don't have a corner office, you ain't done nothing. That corner office is going to burn one day. Them children are eternal. I know women that I know for a fact, that's what God put in their hearts to do. Since I was talking, I was talking with a daughter today, her mother, her mother's name is Susan Weber, goes to church here. God, her and Brian love God, great folks. No doubt the call on her life was to train up her children. And, and this is the, this for a period, this is the call of God. Now, let me tell you the other great, thing you need to know about the plan of God. I'm, gonna, I'm done with this. It's not one big plan. You don't say, well, does he want me to be a missionary? Does he want me to be a podiatrist or a pickle farmer or whatever? It, you don't like go get his plan and go do it. There may be some long-term assignments. I am called to pastor long-term. But within that assignment, there are many short-term assignments. He, you know, you, you might be called to be a bus driver, but he might want you teaching a, you know, holding, start you a Bible study at work and do it for several months. That would be his will for your life. 
There are many short-term assignments within the long-term deal. You got that? Now let me add a third one in there. There's a lot of daily opportunities. There's times he wants me today to speak to that person. And he'll put it on my heart to do it. A lot of times, I, a couple times yesterday, I would see something. My heart would just grow so tender and I knew he wants me to call them people. And, and listen, it's not about, well, he's called me to be this. You've got to walk with him to find his will. And, and it'll be there and you will have a blast. You, you'll have the best time. So we've got to sort of get off this mindset of, uh, well, he didn't call me to be a missionary. He called me to be a, you know, I'm an engineer. He has a plan for your life long term. And then he's got different things he wants you doing and they'll reach a place where he don't want you doing that no more. There's something else now. And then on top of that, there'll be things he wants you to do tomorrow. You know, you go to work and there's a lady that works with you, a man that works with you and you can tell they're upset and that touches your heart. He wants you to go over there and get there and by their self and say, listen, uh, I, I, I'm thinking about you. Could we pray together? He just wants you to go over and help them for a little bit. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just go be Jesus to them folks for a little bit. And there are daily assignments for every believer. And Jesus went about doing the will of the Father like that. Let me give you a picture of this. When I was in college, a summer job I had was, uh, I worked with a fellow and he was a, uh, he repaired big mechanical stuff on huge bank buildings, stuff like that. Well, he worked, I was his helper. And uh, we repaired broken stuff like that. He never sent me to do anything. I think he was scared to. He never sent me to do anything. We met together in the truck every morning. We rode to wherever we was going for that day. We got out. We took it apart, found a problem. We fixed it. Stuff I could do, I'd do. I'd do some welding or soldering or whatever. He'd do a little. We fixed it. We went home at night. And that's how we spent our summer working together to do stuff like that. That is what it means. We are co-laborers together with God. We want to live our lives just driving around with the king. Whatever you, whatever you want to fix today, let's fix it. Whatever you got going on today, let's do it. That, that'd just be wonderful. Now, I'm going to go back to my original question and I'm done. Do I have to serve God? No, I don't have to. You really don't. Matter of fact, let me show you why you don't have to. If we'd have read further in 1 Corinthians 3, after we talked about the Lord gave the increase, you'd have seen these words right here. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. You cannot go to heaven unless you trust Jesus. That's not politically correct, but that is the Bible. That man didn't die on a cross to be one of many. He is the only road to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No foundation can you lay. That which is laid is Christ Jesus. Only Jesus is the doorway to heaven. But after that, it says this. However, everyone builds on that foundation. What are you going to do after you get saved? And you build on that foundation out of wood, hay, stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. For the day will come when everyone's work will be tested by fire and the fire will reveal everyone's work. If my work, my life has burned up, excuse me, if it stands, gold, silver, precious stones, I will receive a reward. However, if my work is, my work is burned up, my life is burned up, I will be saved yet so as by fire. What's the picture there? You trust Jesus, heaven is a free gift. But you can, you can be a Christian and never serve the Lord. You shouldn't tell people that. We shouldn't tell them what the Bible says. Let me tell you something. I don't want to stand before Jesus and him say, did you, did you follow me? Say, nope, I just wanted into heaven. That ain't going to happen. I want to stand before him and I want to get into heaven decorated. I want to, I don't know if it's a crown or not. I wouldn't look good in a crown. I'll take a medal though. All right. You know what it all boils down to? Listen to me carefully. This is just crazy thinking. It's not do I have to serve God. You know what it is with me? Do I get to serve Him? If you knew the truth, you wouldn't say do I have to. You'd say do I get to? You will never trade down with God. Take the best plan you can come up with. He'll make it look like outhouse cleaning. That wasn't good, was it? I mean, He'll make it look. You will never top what He's planned for you. I'm not trying to get out of serving God. I'm trying my best to find out what all he's got planned. That's the truth. So no, you don't have to serve him if you don't want to, but you're going to miss out on the best life possible. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you and thank you. You're the most creative, beautiful person in all the world. We should be able to look at nature and know he don't make junk. We should be able to look at nature and know you don't create dull, 
bad stuff. We should look around and say, if that man built that right there, what could he build into my life? I thank you that you've given me the desire of my heart. You gave me your son. What a delight it is to know him personally. You gave me the woman that I love so much. I've, you've blessed me with children. You called me to love that woman, raise those children. You've called me to love people like I didn't want to anyway. You have been good to me. I pray for every person in this room. If they're still wrestling over this thing, do I want to follow Jesus or not? Lord Jesus, bop them on the head and say, what's wrong with you? I don't know any other way to say it. Touch their hearts and let them know a content, full life comes from finding the plans God has for you. Every day, get right in the middle of what He's doing. Just wake up every morning and say, where are we going today, boss? I think that's what it means to follow Jesus. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified in His precious name. I pray for every person in my church that you've given me to look after. Lord Jesus, I have to give an account for them. I don't want to be in trouble with you. Make them do right before we get there. But I pray for every person they will stand before you and their lives will stand the fire and you will smile and you'll say, well done. Didn't we have fun? Well done, good and faithful. Didn't we have fun working together in the earth? Thank you for inviting me to be a part of what you're doing in the earth. Now pull everybody into it. Precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.